Hey, this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of Effie Church, and this is our podcast. Um, no, I've got I've got a word prepared today uh, in our to stay or not to stay series. And uh, a couple months ago, when we were planning out this series, we were you know talking about it's February and it's Valentine's Day and it's relationship time, and we prayed about what do we want to talk about with relationships, and we started with the idea of stay. That was it. Just the, the title was supposed to be stay, like just one big word, the word stay. And, and that was the idea. But, but then Candace, you know, being the, the much wiser than I individual that she is, said, you know, there are some times where you need to not stay somewhere or in something. You know, just stubbornly saying, I'm here no matter what, without evaluating or acknowledging or, or choosing to stay is, is sometimes worse, you know? And staying in the right thing for a horrible reason might even be bad for you. So we talk about, we're talking about when to stay and when not to stay. And I, I thought of a story this week of a time that, that I just wanted to stay where I was, but for obvious reasons, which we'll get to, I couldn't stay there forever. And, uh, when I was a kid, we moved into a new house, and I had a few friends in that community, and we were exploring. Uh, we were like explorers, like 12 and 13-year-old in the woods explorers. Yeah, I grew up in New Jersey, and yeah, there's woods in New Jersey. Um, I actually lived in a mountainy area, very rural Jersey. I know they don't sound like they make sense, but it's there, I promise. And we're in the middle of the woods, and all of a sudden we stumble upon a bog, like, like, a, like a muddy like water-filled swamp, and this was like amazing for us, and we realized that there are these little like pads of ground where the grass has grown up to be strong enough that you can stand on it, and then you like lean back and you jump to the next one, and we're just jumping from, from thing to thing for a while, and it's maybe five or six of us, maybe a few more, and then somebody eventually falls in, and we're used to jumping stones in the creek, um, uh, cre- yeah, creek, not crick, creek. And we're in the creek, and you get wet, and your shoe's wet, and it dried off, and you go home, whatever. But this isn't water. This is muck, like thick, lose-your-shoes muck. So somebody fell in, and that one person we all laugh at, ha, 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 and we keep jumping. Then somebody else falls in like two feet up to their knees, and we got to drag them out, and that's ha, ha, ha. And then, like, somebody pushes somebody in, and then it's, like, one whole side of their body, and then somebody pulls somebody in, and then before you know it, we're having a mud fight. You know a mud fight. It's like a fight with mud. Like a snowball fight, except you're chucking big, muddy clods of dirt and rocks at each other, because that's what boys do. And girls, you know, everybody. No, Kim? Kim, you never, you never had a mud ball fight, Kim? You don't seem like the type. Well, we're throwing the mud at each other, we're belly flopping, we're getting covered in mud, having a blast. Like, you know when you move and you don't have that feeling of home anywhere and anymore and you're just, it's, it's like, it's, it'll never be the same? Well, that's what this season was like for me. And then when we found that muddy swamp with our new group of friends and we had a mud fight, all of a sudden it was home. And we had a blast. And we did this for like hours. And I don't know if it was actually hours because I didn't have a cell phone or a watch. I knew how to go home, when to go home because when the sun goes down, you know, that's how you tell time when you're a kid without a watch. Sun goes down, you go home. I, I would never let my kid leave without knowing exactly where they are when they'll be back now because that'd be crazy. But like my parents, they just sent me out, got muddy, and I come home. And we're getting ready to leave. And I don't want to leave. I'm like, let's stay longer. And, and the ki- a couple of the kids were like, I got to get home and figure out how to get clean because if my mom sees me like this, I'm dead. And I went, really? My mom will be cool. And that's how awesome I'm. I know my mom pretty well. I, I don't, I, I known her my whole life. Like we, we connected early and made a good relationship, you know, nine months. She got prepared for me hanging out. And so I knew that I'd get home and she'd be like, all right, Jason, let's, let's figure this out, whatever. And I was fine with it, but I didn't want to leave that place. I just wanted to stay in that new feeling of home that was created by me and my friends throwing mud at each other's faces. And I wanted to stay there. But you can't live in a swamp, unless you're Shrek. I guess Shrek lives in a swamp. But if, if you can't live there, 
You can't stay there, but you don't want to go. What do you do? How do you deal with those emotions? How do you deal with the fact that, that I have to stay here? I know I have to stay here, but I can't stay here. What do you do in that season? I can't stay here, but I want to. How do you confront that? How do you deal with that? So I want to, as we normally do, look at the words of Jesus and see, see something he said. And, and I don't believe that when he was talking this, this passage, he was actually addressing this heartfelt need. But I see something in his words that I want to pull out and then go to a few other places of scripture to solve what to do when we can't stay where we want to stay because we have to go somewhere else. You guys ready? You guys ready? Yeah, yeah I, I, I know. On the first try, you're ready. Oh, good. All right, let's go to Matthew 10, verse 11. Whenever, you're, uh, whenever you enter a city, I get distracted easy. Whenever you enter a city or village, search for a worthy person and stay in his home until you leave town. When you enter the home, give it your blessing. If it turns out to be a worthy home, let your blessing stand. If it is not, take back the blessing. If any household or town refuses to welcome you or listen to your message, shake its dust from your feet and leave. So Jesus identifies. When you walk into a new town or village, identify a place to stay then go there. And then can we go to verse 12 again? I want to read that one more time, verse 12. When you enter a home, give it your blessing. So choose a place to stay, and then when you enter it, give it your blessing. The first thing that Jesus identifies in this to stay or not to stay message is stay and be a blessing. Stay and be a blessing. Uh, my, my come to Jesus story is when I was about six or seven years old, my parents got saved and uh, they changed their lives radically overnight. I was thinking the other day that I remember uh, we used to tell jokes around the house. You know how little kids are like, I got a joke, knock, knock. Who's there? Orange, you know, that whole thing. And like, I was always telling jokes. And, and as I was getting older, the jokes were becoming like a little raunchy. Like I, I could tell potty jokes and my parents wouldn't yell at me. And then when we got saved, they went, we're not going to tell those type of jokes now. We're going to tell Christian jokes. And I wish I remembered some of the horribly corny Christian jokes we learned, but everything changed for them. Even their jokes had to be Christian jokes. We, we changed everything about our lives. But they met Jesus in their living room watching 700 Club. So they met Jesus before they met the church. And it was interesting for me to get to see it in that perspective. They didn't come to church and find Jesus Jesus came to them, and then they found church. So they were looking for a place to go to church, and they tried out a few churches. Um, and, and my sister was severely handicapped, so we didn't fit in at a lot of churches. It was, it was uncomfortable until we found the place that was worthy of our blessing. And when we walked in that place and realized it was worthy of our blessing, my parents gave their blessing to that church, and they stayed my parents are still at the same church they went to when I was in first grade. That means over 24 years they have been in the same church. And they joined that church and they had this idea that everything would be different. Everything would be like, you know, like people in church won't, won't be like mean to each other or fight or argue. Everything will be perfect now. And it did not take long before they realized that was not the case. And if you've been in a church for 24 years, you know that's not the case. If you've been in a church for 24 months, 24 days, 24 hours, you might know that that's not the case. That people inside the church are just people. And people bring pain to other people. It's unfortunate, but it's true. If we don't acknowledge the truth, we're setting ourselves up for more pain. And my parents realized that the people in the church hurt each other. And throughout their 24 years at that church, they've been through a few very painful experiences in that church where individuals have chosen to leave or large sections of the church have chosen to leave together. If you go to a small church in a small town, you'll get used to a section getting really dense where people all sit together in the church. And then then one weekend you'll just come and that whole section of the church might be empty. And you're like, what happened? They just left together. My parents experienced that, people not staying. 
And here's why I think they were unable to stay and my parents were able to stay. When my parents joined the church, when they joined uh, it was called Washington Assembly, when they joined that church, they became a blessing. They looked for ways to bless it. My dad, who at that point was working two jobs, coaching my wrestling team, coaching my soccer team, and I think I did t-ball for a couple seasons there, like he was coaching everything, he still said, what can I do? And he became a boys group leader. This man has been saved all of 20 minutes. He doesn't know anything about the Bible, but he learned it so he could teach it to us. He became a blessing. My mom, who found herself very crafty, that was her thing. She became an events team leader, and she would decorate the fellowship hall. That was her thing, and she owned it, and she became a blessing. And by being a blessing to the church, they received a blessing from God. So no matter how bad things got, they had decided they were going to stay and be a blessing. If you're at all like me, when you show up to a new church, maybe this is your first week here at FV Church, and if so, awesome, thanks for joining us. When you walked in, I'm sure that you noticed some things. You probably noticed as you walked in the lobby, oh, this, this carpet's a little stained, and, and it is. It's, it's, I think the carpet's like as old as the building. Things get stained, and, and maybe you looked at the green chairs, and maybe your chair might still have a stain on it because we let people have coffee in the sanctuary because we prefer comfort over, like, perfectly clean facilities. We want you to be comfortable here. You should be comfortable in the house of God. You should be comfortable in your own house. This is your own house. This is God's house. Be comfortable. Oh, I ran out of breath there. So the, you might have noticed there was a stain on the chair. Or maybe you looked at the, the concrete and you're like, it's just a concrete floor like Walmart. What church just has a Walmart floor? And, and you might have noticed that. But one thing I learned early in my time in ministry at FB Church, I was taught this really young, and I don't know why some teachings stick with you, but this one did. Somebody told me, the minute you walk into a house, find something to compliment. Amen. The minute you walk into somebody's house, find something to compliment. That's not my nature. When I walk in, I'm finding the things to critique. That's just my nature. It, like When I walk into a new building, I see the stained carpet, and I see the ripped chairs, and I see the, the messy concrete floor. I see this stuff. It's just, it's, it's, it is. It's messed up. I got I to gotta knock it off. But instead, what I've decided to do, rather than it, like I acknowledge my weakness, and then I've trained myself to state a blessing. I love that, that TV stand. This is a great front door. <laughs> I might use it again as I leave. Whatever. You know, you, you find the thing to bless in the home, in the place you're at. Because when you pour out a blessing, there's only one thing you've set yourself up to receive, a blessing. Amen. You know, let's, let's get elementary school on it. When you bless them, guess what? Their rubber and your glue. No matter what they're going to try to throw at, the blessing is going to be the thing that comes back. They can try to curse you, but, but they're just rejecting the blessing and it's coming back on you. So be a blessing. Listen, you know that concrete floor that some people are like, ah, oh, it's like a concrete floor. You know what it used to be? It used to be a carpet. Who here remembers the carpet? Who here remembers some stains on that carpet? Who here remembers a little bit of a, you know, carpet smell, a funky smell? And I remember associating that funky carpet smell with the very presence of Jesus Christ and the move of the Holy Spirit. Because I spent some Sundays with my face pressed into that carpet, putting some fresh stains from my tears on it, and I could either look at that gross carpet and go, ew, or go, that scent is a blessing because I associate it with the move of God. My, my parents' church has a very easy thing to critique when you walk into it. See, when it was built, it was the 70s, and there was a particular color of carpet associated, burnt orange. And it is a large facility, burnt orange, like, like uh, stadium-style seating with burnt orange pews, burnt orange carpet on the stage with a burnt orange carpet background. It's all burnt orange. And it's very easy to go, ew. Or you can go, look at all this space that we can fill with people. You know, I don't, I don't like the color blue anymore because I see it when I look out there. You know what color I like? I don't know what color shirt you're wearing. Because that's what I want to see is people in it. I hate that color orange. So, so let's, let's look at it not as the critique, but that burnt orange is a blessing because we don't want to see it. Let's cover it with people. Let's fill it. Are you staying where God has placed you? I broke the stage. Are you I get distracted easy. I'm sorry. Are you staying where God has placed you and being a blessing? You can't do just one. 
Because if you stay and avoid the, the feeling of being a blessing, eventually you'll leave. If you're not invested and involved, you're just counting the days until you're leaving. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it. I didn't say this in any of the other services, but God keeps bringing me back to it. I was in a season in this church in 2015. Uh, when I graduated college, I made a commitment in my heart that no matter what, I would be a youth pastor at a church for at least five years. Because when I was in uh, high school, in elementary school, in middle school, our church had a new youth pastor every two years. And that's painful. You meet somebody, you make a connection, and they leave. You meet somebody, you make a connection, and you leave. You meet somebody, you make a connection, and they leave. And I wasn't going to do that to any students I was a pastor of. So I was going to stay at FB Church for at least five years. And you know what I did for the first three years? I said, okay, five more years. Okay, four more years. Okay, three more years. And then in 2015 at an altar, God said, you better stop counting because I have called you here. I didn't place you for five years so that you could have a plan and a way out when things get hard. I rooted you and established you in a facility. So you stop counting down the days and you start planning for the future. Be a blessing where you are and see what God will do in you. And, and I haven't said that word in any other service. So if it sticks with you, it's for you. Stop counting the days. You're here for good. You're here for the long haul. Be a blessing. Find the place to serve, the place to be involved, the place to be invested. We got a lot of message left, so let's move on to the next point. Verse 14 of this passage, you know, Jesus identifies that if, if any household or town refuses to welcome you or listen to your message, shake its dust from your feet as you leave. And this is where Jesus gets a little T-swift. That's Taylor Swift for anybody. Where are my Taylor Swift fans at? Come on. You didn't even raise your hand? All right, I'll take that. Taylor Swift, come on. Like, feeling 22? That's my jam. Whatever, you're all wrong. So anyway, she had a song recently. Well, not recently. It's a few years old. Called Shake It Off. Tony remembers this song very well because we had him dancing on the stage to it two years ago. And, 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 and she's talking about how she can't dance and she can't move, but she's just got to shake it off. Shake it off. When things get tough, you got to shake it off. And, and Jesus is saying, if people insult you, don't accept you, won't welcome you, what do you got to do? Shake it off. Shake, shake, shake it off. You got to shake it off. And, and that doesn't sound easy, but he's identifying you have to shake the very dust off your feet. And this comes from a tradition that the super religious, pious people, the, the religious leaders created a culture where when they walked through a pagan place, a bunch of unbelievers and sinners, here's what they would do. They would say, I'm not associated with those horrible rabble. And they would, they would shake their clothes like this. And they would shake their feet. And they wouldn't even allow the dust of those sinners to settle on them. But Jesus, earlier in the passage, he's not sending his disciples to the sinners. He's sending them to the Jewish people. And he says, if they don't even accept you, shake it off. Deal with it. Get it dealt with. Don't let it settle on you. Because here's the thing about dust it's not like mud. If somebody throws mud at you, you feel it, right? If dust just settles, you, you don't even notice. You know how long it takes for me to notice the dust that's accumulated on my keyboard? But then once I do, I'm like, how did I miss it? It just settles on us. So how do we deal with the things in life that just slowly settle on us over time? We shake them off. Shake them off. Shake the very dust off your feet. So we're going to look at what I think are a couple of type of dust that, that Jesus or that the Bible talks about us dealing with, some dust that falls in our life. And this is where we're going to spend the most of the time is, is looking at different types of dust in our lives that we need to deal with. And the first dust that I want to talk about, the first dust that I think we need to deal with is the dust of offense. You see, I told you that my parents survived in church by being a blessing, but the people who left over their years at that church died in church because of offense. You survive in church by being a blessing. You die in church by allowing offense to rise up. And, and I want to look at different types of dust. And, and I told you, like, if somebody just throws a ball of dirt at your face, you can identify it and deal with it. But it's, it's usually like, like, that's easy to, that person's just being mean to me. They're throwing dirt at me. 
but offense is a little different. See, offense can, it usually happens between friends, right? The people who offend you are loved ones, and they, they often don't mean it the way we receive it. That's how offense takes root, you know? Offense is, you know, somebody like, they cut you off in traffic, and you're offended. You're like about to get mad, but they didn't even notice they were cutting you off. They were just trying to get in the lane. They weren't going, I hate this person. They don't know who you are. You're just a blue car. They don't know who's back there. They're not trying to hurt you. They just are accidentally hurting you. And that's how offense usually happens. And I, I had a picture for this. Uh, when I worked at a, a pizzeria, anybody here ever worked at like a pizza shop or a bakery? You worked at a bakery with a lot of immature teenagers? Okay. Here's the type of dust that I view as the dust of offense. We had this little game we would play where after the, you know, closing time, customers are leaving, you grab a big handful of flour and you stand around a corner and you wait for somebody to come by and you jump out and you blast them in the face with flour. Anybody ever done this? You, you know what it's called? Antiquing. It's antiquing somebody because you plaster them with flour and you turn their face into an antique. Like it gets in all the, the cracks in their eyes and they go from being like 18 years old because it's all the teenagers doing this to being like 500 years old. How's that, Kim? Okay, I, I, didn't, I wasn't saying 50, I was saying 500 because it's an antique. And, and, and 50, that's just, you know, that's just seasoned. That's all that is. So they get, they get blasted in the face and, and it's always hilarious, but right? Until it's done to you and then it's offensive. And, and that kind of offense is intended as a joke. Honestly, it, it brought the whole team together, except for when it didn't. And when it didn't, it went from one blast of flour to one fight in the kitchen to one fractured friendship. And the other thing about offense is it can often be dangerous because the thing about antiquing is it's funny until you, know, you turn around the corner and you get ready to throw it in the face and somebody gets scared and they go, <gasps> and then you plaster them with flour and they <gasps> breathe it in their lungs and they start hacking and coughing and then the, somebody's like, they have asthma and then you're like, call a doctor and then it's like a nightmare. We've all, we've all been there, right? Or is that just, that's just me? That's just me. But whatever, that's how offense can happen. We mean it one way and something happens and it's received another way and it becomes an attack. Now, how you mean it might not matter as much as how it's received sometimes. I lived this out this week where, where I made a decision that upset someone I'm close to and care about and hurt them in some way. And I didn't even realize it. I didn't even know. But that person messaged me and they're like, what's going on? Why is this happening? And then they went, listen, I need to be honest here. I'm hurt, maybe more hurt than I should be. Maybe, maybe you didn't even mean it that way. Maybe, maybe whatever. And, and then they were doing exactly what the Bible said they should do. They were coming to me, identifying the offense so that I could then realize that what I did, even if I would do it again, hurt someone I cared about. And I could confront it and deal with it. What they were doing is they were seeing some dust in our relationship and they were shaking it off. Now, I could then go, I don't know, whatever, that's on him. Or I could say, I am sorry that I have created dust in our relationship. Let's deal with it and move forward. We need to do that. Matthew 18, Jesus talks about how to deal with offense in the faith. If another believer sins against you and creates a grievance, you need to deal with it by going to them and then talking it out. And if they reject you, bring somebody else with you. And if they reject them, bring the whole church. And if they reject them, treat them as an unbeliever. And this is where a lot of believers get to go, awesome, I can write them off. But that's not what Jesus did with unbelievers. You know what Jesus did with unbelievers? He loved them. He loved them unconditionally. He reached out to them. He tried to win them. He loved them. So if somebody offends you and you can't fix it, love them. Love them. But those offenses, if we allow them to build up over time and we don't deal with them, they will cause you to have to leave. And you never end up leaving over the thing that really happened that you never acknowledged because you didn't even acknowledge it. You end up leaving because they, they moved my favorite section. I like sitting over there and I, I can't sit there anymore, so I'm done in this church. 
Or they, they painted the, the wall purple or like maroon. I don't like that color. I'm out. And people give reasons like that for leaving a church. And whenever I hear a reason like that, I go, oh, it was something else that wasn't dealt with years ago. Don't allow offense to cause you to leave when you should stay. Instead, shake it off. Shake it off by, by confronting it, by saying, oh, I was offended. Now it's on me to deal with it. I need to figure it out. And you don't always have to go to the person, but you have to deal with it. If it's something that you can't move on from, you have to move to them. If it's something you can't forgive and forget and, and go, oh, they, I know that person. And I know they didn't mean it like that. If my best friend plasters me in the face with flour, I am going, if, if Aaron tomorrow comes into work, throws flour in my face, I am going to laugh because I know he loves me. But if a stranger or individual I don't know blasts me in the face with flour, they're going to get punched in the face with a fist. Right? And if I don't deal with it, a fence will grow between me and that person because I wasn't ready to receive it from them. So you got to know who you can forgive and move on from easily and who you got to shake it off by confronting it. Either, either deal with it or move on from it. Don't hang on to it. That's the dust of offense. Don't let it settle in your lives. Another dust that we have to deal with if we're going to stay and be a blessing. The dust of distractions. This is a dust I struggle with. <laughs> if you've known me for any length of time, you will know that I'm a distractible person. Very easily distracted. Um, I don't know how I made it through high school without being identified as having attention deficit disorder. I know I wasn't hyperactive, and that's probably why, because when I was a kid, everybody had ADHD, and nobody identified that I just struggle to focus. Like, that's just, that's my thing. I, I, it's hard for me. I've ended up using it as a strength in many ways in my life by working with teenagers, who are also easily distracted, so we're cool. Many of them have much greater focus than I do, so congratulations. I, I, I struggle. I'm like a, a dog I, looking at a million things. But... When I'm distracted, I'm missing out on the things that I am supposed to be focusing on, almost always. I'm missing out on what's more important. It, the Bible says that the enemy, Satan, the devil, who is real, his goal is to steal, to kill, and destroy. Many of us believe that his main goal is to kill us, but, but Jesus said that's, that's not actually his main goal. That's his second goal. If he can keep you from getting the blessings of God, he doesn't have to worry about killing you. So how's he going to do that? Well, he's going to steal from you because it's steal, kill, destroy. So steal. What is he going to steal? Is he going to steal your blessings? Is he going to steal your wealth? Is he going to steal your comfort? Is he going to steal your health? Or is he just going to distract you? If he steals your attention and he takes your attention off God, your wealth will go away. Your comfort will go away. Your health will go away. The blessings will go away if he takes your focus off of God. So his main goal here in America, the way he attacks the church the most, I believe, is with distraction. He has built a media conglomerate that will distract us every minute of every day if it can. Because that's where the money is on our focus. So they want your focus. Because if they got your focus, they've got your money. And if they've got your money, they've got you. That's why we talk about giving to God, because you're fixing your focus on something else. When I was in Ethiopia, the missions organization I was with said a sentence over and over, fix your, or no, they said, focus equals anointing. Focus equals anointing. They would say it all the time, and I hated it. I was like, that doesn't mean anything. Focus equals anointing? No, the Holy Spirit equals anointing, or, or worship equals anointing. What are they talking about? And I've realized in my life when I instantly rebel against something that is obviously true, that more shows something wrong with me than it does with the information. So I started to think about it. And I noticed that all week, 150 of us were focusing on one mission and vision, to share the gospel with Ethiopia. And you know what happened? The Holy Spirit moved. Because focus equals anointing, which means that distraction equals destruction. Your focus on Jesus will fix your anointing problems in your life. If you're struggling to connect with the Holy Spirit, fix your focus. What are you looking at? What is the main source that's coming into your life? This is what fasting is about. Fasting is about fixing your focus. If you remove the most essential thing from your life, food, 
man, I love food. If I take that out of my life, every time I get hungry, I'm reminded of who I want to focus on. Not myself and my own needs, but my Savior and his desires for me. If you have a distraction issue, which I clearly have a distraction issue, fix your focus by fasting. I'm in a season right now where I'm, I'm trying to regrow my fasting muscles. Uh, when I was in college, I would do pretty regular fasts where I would remove food completely from my life. I would do juice fasts or, or full fasts or seasonal fasts. And Right now, I'm in a season of my life where I struggle to, to fast a day, let alone three or four or more. I, I struggle with it. And I'm trying to regrow those muscles so that I can deal with the problem that I have in my life, identifying distractions, identifying that, that I go to my phone more than I go to my Bible, that I go to Netflix before I go to my knees. Distractions will destroy us. Fix your focus. Shake off the dust of distractions. Psalms 119.15 says, I will study your commandments and focus on your ways. If you want to deal with the dust of distractions, put God's word in your life and shake it off. Or you can let that dust settle over you and smother you until you turn into something you never wanted to be because it just happened without you noticing. Be intentional. Shake off the dust of distractions. Another dust I want to deal with today, the dust of your past. If you want to stay and be a blessing, you got to deal with the dust of your past. And the dust of our past, this one's a bit grosser. So it's going to be a little gross in here. Those with queasy stomachs, I apologize. You know what most dust in your house is? Skin. It's like dead skin cells. Like hair follicles and like eyelashes and like skin. And I didn't realize this, but we're just always shedding skin all the time. I remember in middle school, one of my good buddies, Matt, he'd been in my class since first grade. Uh, he was Guyanese, so like really, really dark skinned. And, and he was always putting lotion on. And I thought lotion was for girls. So of course, I'm an immature middle schooler. I'm like, why you put lotion on? That stuff's for girls. And he goes, because I'm ashy. And I went, what? He said, I'm ashy. I'm like, what on earth does that mean? He's like, look at my skin. And he shows me he's got like, like some, he's like real dark. Like I'm talking like permanent marker black. Like, and he's got like white ashy elbows. And then he rubs the lotion on and it goes away. And he's like dark again. And I'm like, well, I don't have that problem because I'm white. And he goes, no, you do have that problem. You're ashy. You just don't even notice it because you can't see all the dead skin surrounding yourselves. And this is our past self. And it rises up and dries us out. If you've ever had a past you're not proud of, you know what I'm talking about. Because every saint has a past, every sinner has a future. And if you have been saved by Jesus, you have a past. And if you can't identify it, maybe you're still walking in it, and there's a future waiting for you. Identify that past, those dead skin, those dusty, dry places in your life that need dealt with so you can move forward into a brighter future. Your dead skin of your past will haunt you if you let it. I've gone through seasons where all I can think about is, I can't believe I did that, I can't believe I did that, I can't believe I did that, instead of saying, I'm gonna do better, I'm gonna do better, I'm gonna do better. One focuses on the past and one focuses on the future. The dust of our past will suffocate us. It is gross. I hate looking back at who I was. But hold on. Jesus says, or the Bible says in 2 Corinthians, this means anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old is gone and the new has come. So how do I know I'm a new person if I don't identify my old self? So when I look at my house and I see it's covered in dust, I can either go, that's gross, I'm not touching that, or I can deal with it and move into a new self. That's how we shake off the dust of our past. Acknowledge that it is the past. I'm not that way anymore, thank Jesus Christ. Thank Jesus that I am no longer the type of person that would do that to people. I'm not walking in that anymore. That's the old self. And the old is gone, the new life has become, shake off the dust of the past. Walk in the new future that he has for you. And then you can stay in his presence and be a blessing 
to those around you. Final dust I want to look at, the dust of loneliness. This is a, this is a tough one in our modern culture because we're more connected than ever, but studies show we are just as disconnected as ever. You can reach out to anyone on your phone, but you still feel alone. It's not more alone. It, it, it's equally alone as, as we've always felt as a culture. I believe every single person has felt alone at some time. Many of us feel alone maybe right now. And it's this oxymoron that we're all alone. Like, how can two people be alone together? But we do. We, we feel alone. And one thing I've learned about myself is when I feel alone, or when I feel lonely, when I feel secluded, you know what I do? I seclude myself more. I hide myself more. Because if I'm alone, there must be something wrong with me. And if there's something wrong with me, I don't want to be around others. And if I'm not around others, there must be something wrong. And if there's something wrong, I need to be alone. And I just want to be, I'm so alone. Why do I feel so alone? And I just keep backing away from the people that can help me feel connected and I put myself in a place where I will always feel alone because there's nobody around. And I won't let people around because it hurts to let people around. And we're stuck in a cycle of the dust of loneliness. How do we shake off the dust of loneliness? Jesus always intended that we would meet together, assemble, be the church, be there for one another. I know for new believers, this is especially tough because when the old is gone and the new has come, sometimes we got to let go of old relationships so we can move into new, healthy relationships. And that transition season, that's lonely. A lot of my, or, or a few of my students have, have left their past and moved into a new future in Jesus. And they say, I miss having more friends. I used to have so many people in my life that, like, they would reach out to me all the time, and I was so popular, and I miss that. I just want that back. I'm so alone. And I was talking to one of them specifically about it when they were like, I don't have any friends anymore since I became a Christian. And you know what I did? I started to list the number of people in our youth ministry that would die for her in a heartbeat because they would say, oh, they need me? I'm there. I'll figure it out. I'll find a way. I'm going to be there for you because you're my family, not my friend. Friends come and they go. Family is there. And if you feel lonely, don't go find friends. Go find a family because you'll never be alone again. And, and as, as that person, as I'm talking with them, realized all the people that, that love her and are there for her, she went, well, yeah, but I know loneliness is neglecting the people you actually have because you miss the people you never had. To deal with the dust of loneliness, we have to recognize one thing that Jesus made clear in John. John 15, verse 18. The world hates you. Remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belonged to it but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. If you feel lonely out there, in your workplace, in the world, that makes sense. Because we reflect the mirror of Jesus Christ, and they're confronted with what they're called to be, and they don't want any part of it. Therefore, the world hates believers. The gospel confronts us and we have to change so if you feel lonely in the world find a family in the church because it makes sense you feel alone out there if you feel alone in here we can deal with that real quick we got a meet and greet after service be there and hey if, if that doesn't connect we got growth groups on wednesday nights that'll help if that's not enough we got home groups that meet all week long there's one near you and if, if that's not enough, you know, we, we got serve teams. We've got opportunities for you to get deeply connected. If you need a little bit more, we have prayer once a month, Sunday nights. Be here. If you feel lonely or disconnected, here's a radical step. Hi, my name is. It actually is a very radical step. That's tough. That's tough. That's hard, real hard for me. 
you, you want to stretch me and put me in an uncomfortable situation, say, go introduce yourself. And I'll say, I don't want to do that. Can I just go on stage and talk at a bunch of people for once? <laughs> like, that's easy. Like, you, go, you should all try it. It's really easy. You know what's hard? Talking to one person. That's hard. I'm no good at that. I, I, I struggle with that. And I need to be better at that because that's when I feel alone. Leadership is especially lonely. If you've ever moved into a role where, where you're the one on top or you're the one that people answer to, you, you feel lonely. And Jesus, he felt lonely. And you know what Jesus did when he felt alone? He secluded himself in prayer. Not in depression. Not in darkness. In prayer. So if you are forced for whatever situation to be separate from people, you, you live alone, you're, you're in your own place, you're in that part, let me tell you, you are never alone. He is there. My, my teenagers, they struggle with this desperately because, you know, they don't have their own transportation and they're home for like four or five hours and they feel alone, especially ones without siblings. They're like, I'm always alone. I'm always alone. And I say, you're never alone. Do you love who you're left with, your savior? Go to him. Shake it off. Shake it off. And you know what all this dust that settles on us does to us? It destroys us over time. Dust dries you out. It takes away the, the, the moisture, the, the celebration of life. It, it destroys you, and you can no longer be a blessing where you're at. The dust of life, the busyness, the distractions, the offense, the loneliness, the past, all these dust that just settle that we got to deal with, the dust of life, we got to shake it off. And we had an evangelist uh, come here a long time, and he told a story that's always stuck with me about a farmer, a farmer who raised the donkey from, from the time it was a little baby, and he fed it from his hand, and he led it around his property. He even taught the donkey to fetch. It was a smart donkey. And this donkey made a mistake one day. It walked by an old abandoned well, like a cistern, a dried up well with, with no water in it, and it fell in. And this old farmer who's, who's far too long in age to figure out a way to get the donkey out of the well, he decides he, he, just, he has to bury that donkey there because he, he can't save it and he, he, he doesn't have it in his heart to, to shoot it. He loves this donkey too much. He's had it his whole life and, and he decides, I'll just bury it here. This will become its permanent resting place. And he starts shoveling dirt onto the donkey. And this donkey, he's, he's smart. He knows how to fetch. <laughs> I don't know if donkeys, they probably can't fetch and the dirt falls on the back of the donkey. And he looks up at the foolish farmer and he just shakes it off his back and he tramples it under his feet. And the farmer throws more dirt and more dirt and the donkey shakes it off his back and it's distractions and he shakes them off its back and it's loneliness and he shakes it off his back. It's his past and he shakes it off. It's a fence and he shakes it off and he deals with it and he deals with it and he tramples it under his feet. No matter what is thrown at this donkey, he won't let it bury him. He's going to use it to build his way to freedom. And then he walks out, looks at the farmer in the face and knows that what was meant to kill him made him stronger. The dust of life will come at you. And if you look at God and you say, why are you allowing this to even be in my life? He's saying, this is not meant to kill you. This is meant to strengthen you. See, he saved us. I told, told you guys a story about when I got all muddy and I had to, I had to go home to my mom. And I, I told you, I know my mom. She loves me unconditionally. She'll accept me exactly how I am. I walk up, I knock on the door, and she walks in, out, and she pulls the, like, the, the most painful thing a mom can do. Jason Scott Hollenbach! And I'm like, oh, no. She used the middle name, man. I'm in trouble. And I was like, mom, you, you don't care about this stuff. You know who I am. And she looks at my filthy, like, I got mud in my ear. It's like caked in my hair. The only thing you could see were my eyes and my teeth. And they probably had some dirt in them. She looks at me. And she says, Jason, we don't have a hose. I can't get you clean. She saw me where I was. And she says, we got to deal with this. So she does what a good mom would do. 
brand new to the community, she knocks on a neighbor's door. <laughs> Do you have a hose? No, we don't have a hose. Oh, he's messy. Knocks on the next door. No, I don't have a hose. Goes to the third house. Yeah, we got a hose. Just have him stand in the street. And in the middle of my new community, with all the neighbors just being alerted to the situation, I stand there filthy for everyone to see, and I get clean. They wash me clean. This is what Jesus does for us. He sees us and accepts us and loves us where we are. FV Church accepts you where you are. No matter what you're dealing with or you brought into this place, no matter who you are in your past, we love you. But my mother would not leave me in my mess. I could not stay there. I could not live in that dirt. Something had to change. So she brought me to the one who could clean me. Washed me clean. Jesus does this for us. He washes us clean. But then, you know what? Dust settles again. So what do we do? Do I, do I get, if I get a little bit of dust on my feet, am I supposed to walk into the street and to the neighbor and go, come on, come on, it's that time, take care of it? Or do I just shake the dust off and deal with it? Jesus said this, he was, he was washing his disciples' feet and he goes to one of them and, and, and he goes to wash it and he says, no, 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 Jesus. And he says, if I don't wash you, you'll never be clean. You cannot be saved if you won't let me. And then that disciple says this in John John 12, or 13, Jesus replied, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean, and you disciples are clean. If you've met Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, if you've brought him into your life, if you've allowed, if you've asked him forgiveness of your sins and accepted that he died on the cross for you, you are clean, but dust will still settle on you got to deal with it. Those feet need to be cleaned again. Shake the very dust off your feet so that you can stay and be a blessing. How do you deal with the dust in your life? Get in his word. Worship. Wash yourself. Get lotion on your skin and deal with it. Don't allow the dust to collect until you've got a mess that you can't deal with it. Deal with it. Because he's already saved you. So don't walk around with dirty feet. Clean them. Clean them so that you're clean again in his presence. He already did the big work. Now you just follow after him as clean as you can. I didn't jump in that mud pit again. I have two responses today. Maybe you've come into this place and you say, I, I came in here covered in mud. My life is a mess. I am a sinner. I, I know that, that nobody would let me into their house like this. And how am I supposed to enter into heaven as dirty as I am? God loves you. And he wants to clean you. To save you. To wash you white as snow. You can receive him today. Maybe you've prayed a prayer of salvation before, but the dust of life has gotten on you. And you don't feel like you're walking in faith. You feel like you're fighting through dirt. And you just need to shake the dust off. And come back to your Savior. And say, I'm going to follow you again both responses I want to worship I want an opportunity to put lotion on to deal with it this is the balm for our souls our opportunity to go into the presence of the Savior and be made clean again would you stand with me as we pray if you're able Heavenly Father I thank you for this place of worship for this call to be clean Help us deal with the dust of life, to shake it off, to no longer be okay with any mess, with any issue, but come to your presence prepared to be a blessing by dealing with the dust. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash I-N-N. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links.
Hey everybody, welcome to Home Groups, where we apply the message we heard this weekend at FV Church. This weekend, I spoke in the final message of our To Stay or Not To Stay series, looking at a single verse that Jesus talked about his disciples, where he said, if you go into a town and you're not accepted, if they, they don't listen to you, shake the very dust of that town off of your feet. And we looked at all of the areas in our life where Things of this world are like the dust that collects on our lives, and we need to shake it off and get it off so that we can deal with it and move forward. Right. Jesus comes into our life and he accepts us right where we are. He actually called all of his disciples out of what they were doing and said, come follow me. Even the disciples that weren't exactly upright in their behavior right at that moment, like the tax collectors, Mm -hmm. he called them, loved them right where they are but didn't let them stay there. He asked them to step up, to step into the calling that God had for their lives and then continually challenged them over and over, brought them along on his journey and said, let me come in and help you out. Yeah, at FB Church, we love and accept people wherever they are, but we will never expect people to stay where they are. that, that goes for myself as well. If, mm-hmm. if Candace loves me as my pastor, she's gonna look at my life and say, how are you growing? Mm-hmm. How have you changed? We need to be willing to grow and change. And that starts by looking at the outside. You know, Jesus looks at the inside and it's what matters the most. But if I wanna see the change, I have to look at the dust mm-hmm. on my hands. I have to look at the dust in my life and say, have I dealt with this lately? When I dust in my house and I'll I'll pick up something and I'll look at the the ring of dust and I go, oh, it's been too long before this is taken care of. So we need to evaluate what areas of our life we've not moved forward in and grown in our faith. That's why the Bible talks about judging by their fruit. We can look at what we're producing in our life and see the condition of our heart from that. So we change the condition of our heart and our fruit becomes more healthy. That's right. So in our groups today, let's identify the areas that maybe life has made dusty or our own choices have made dirty and then let's look and make sure jesus is on the inside Mm -hmm. reflecting out and then clean those areas we do that in worship in prayer we do that together and it's important that we're doing that as a group yeah have a great discussion guys see you next week